Man, I am glad for the goodness of the Lord. Amen. I started to say I was glad to be here. I am, and I'm not. I want to go home. But, uh, I do love and appreciate your pastor. And um, had such a wonderful time together. I didn't think I could laugh as much as I did one day with him and Brother Stevens. But Brother Stevens will make anybody laugh. Just looking at him makes me laugh. He laughs at his own jokes, and it's funny watching him laugh at his own jokes. That's even funnier. And uh, we, we laughed halfway there, and it took us two and a half days of flying. How would you all like to sit in an airplane for two and a half days flying? It, actually, going wasn't so bad. Coming back from Frankfurt, Germany to Chicago, I was sitting with my knees slammed into the seat in front of me the whole way. Couldn't lay my seat back to sleep. You talk about miserable. I was one miserable person. And, um, but while we were there, we saw the Lord do tremendous things. And I, I don't want to say too much because I want your pastor, as your pastor, to tell you what happened. And uh, it was, I've been in some powerful services in my life. And you know my pastor, Brother Howard, your pastor's pastor as well. I've been exposed to apostolic ministry for many, many years. And I've seen it firsthand. I've seen the miraculous. I've seen the supernatural. I've seen the gifts of the Spirit in operation. I've been a part of it and lived it for years now. And um, I come to expect God to do great things when we, when we do our part. And, uh, but I was not prepared. I, I, I was, but I wasn't. Um, I, I don't know how to even put it into words, but I don't think any of us expected the powerful move of God that happened. We expected God to do great things. Amen. But he far outdid what we expected. He said he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or think. And he did exceed abundantly above what I even asked him to do. And uh, the glory of God fell there in such a remarkable way. So many great things happened. And uh, we don't even know how many got the Holy Ghost. But more than a handful, I promise you, got the Holy Ghost. And to see preachers get the Holy Ghost, and to see preachers' wives get the Holy Ghost, and to see saints under their ministry receive the Holy Ghost uh, was more than, than I could ever put into words and tell you how much it affected my life. And um, me and your pastor both, um, I can, um, you know, I like to have fun and cut up. You all know that. Matter of fact, while I'm thinking of that, let me say this. Anytime you see me picking with your pastor on Instagram or something like that, it's not for you all. <laughs> In the sense of I'm not demeaning your pastor. We're close friends. And I want you to know I highly respect and, and honor him. And I'm thankful for what God has done through his ministry. And um, I forget sometimes that saints see everything we say to each other on those, on those uh, formats. But I love your pastor. And I highly respect him, and, and I wouldn't want you to ever think that it was a demeaning way. I just thought I'd throw it in there before I forget it. But uh, to see what all the Lord did, uh, there's no way it was worth every hour sitting on the airplane. It was worth every um, effort put into making this happen. To see what God did was beyond my human comprehension. As I sat there, as I stood there, session after session, hour after hour, 
as I watched Revelation come to people. I've not seen hunger like that ever in my lifetime. And I lived in the country of El Salvador that was known, it's still known in much of oneness Pentecostal ranks as the greatest revival field in the world, especially during the time that we were there. And I know Ethiopia was purported to be an awesome revival. I, I, I disagree with it just because a lot of uh, false doctrine was involved in that. But what I saw in El Salvador, the hunger for God that was there, um, what I saw in Zimbabwe far exceeded that. And I've not seen hunger like that in my lifetime. And I, I just preached here, what, two weeks ago about Pentecost and, and what God's done and what he can do. And, and to see that happening there, I really believe that God will bypass many areas because there's a lack of hunger. But the hunger that we saw there was so powerful and uh, so overwhelming that back to what I was saying about me and your pastor, me and him pick at each other a lot when we're together. And we have a lot of fun together. And we've been friends for many, many years, and I love him dearly. But both of us know when it's time to talk to God and when to be sent to the Holy Ghost. And still to this very moment, when I see a picture or when I think about what happened, I begin to weep because I've never felt and seen and, and witnessed such hunger for God. People that, and, and not all these people are just poor people in Africa. We're talking about people that some of them have great education, very articulate. Uh, it's not just people that know nothing. Some of these people have been involved in, in what they consider the work of God for years. And to see the desire for God uh, on such a level, it, it was overwhelming to me. And even during the sessions, during the day and during the services, I would go from rejoicing one moment to weeping the next moment. It just it just kept coming and kept coming. On the way home on the airplane, I couldn't. There was times sitting there in the dark. We traveled two whole nights, two days, and and sitting there on that airplane, not able to sleep much. I wept time after time as I would just have moments where I would remember what God did, and uh, this church um, has a vital part in what took place there in Zimbabwe, and the future is tremendous. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you. Your pastor can tell you what all is going to happen, but uh, the future is very, very good for Zimbabwe, and it's not just Zimbabwe. One of the men that was there that got the revelation that really started the whole um, in the sessions, he's the one that probably broke it for everybody because of his response to the Word of God and the revelation that God brought to them. That one man pastors is over 15 churches. He has churches in the country of Botswana and in South Africa and in Zimbabwe. And so there's tremendous potential there of spreading the gospel to other countries. And uh, God's going to bless this church for your efforts. Amen. All of y'all that helped your pastor go and that helped push and pray and, and all of that, God's got a great uh, reward for that. Because if, if we didn't go, how would they ever know? One of them made a statement about the delay of uh, happened 12 years ago when your pastor was there. And uh, he, he made the statement, I'm sure your, I know your pastor's going to cover it, and, and I, I'm not going to say it in the context, he will, but our or your pastor and those of us that went with him, the delay 
of 12 years ago where nothing seemed to work out. There was one man that was touched by it that got a hold of your pastor and, and able to bring us back over there who's now the bishop over that group of people. And uh, the other man that got the revelation first or the first one to really acknowledge it said uh, the delay wasn't denial. It was just a period of time where God set it up in order to see what God did it was so incredible. And I, I, if I start into it, I'm going to end up preaching. So I was supposed to teach on Saturday, and uh, there had been so much by the time I got ready to teach on Saturday, uh, there had been so much already happened from Friday, well, from Thursday night when we got there. We wasn't planning on being in church, but they were planning on us being in church Thursday night. We were tired from the trip, and they were waiting on us. So we barely had time to put our clothes in the room and throw our clothes on and head back out to church. And from that service until Friday all day long, way up into the hours uh, all day long, we were in session from 8 in the morning till 8, 9 o'clock that night without hardly any stop at all. And uh, just to see the waves of glory and the revelation that was coming. By the time I got back to preach on Saturday after all that had happened, we'd already had this huge baptismal service and seen what God did. And, and I was supposed to get up there and teach. I just had to obey God, and I got up there and preached. And uh, I could have preached, I promise you, for six hours, it felt like. Uh, the, just the hunger and the pulling of God uh, from you and pulling truth from you and just reaching for it. I want us to give the Lord a hand clap of thanksgiving for what he did. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. That's all right. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. The impact will be far-reaching. Many, many souls are going to be saved because of this church right here. Because what God done through your pastor. Thank you, Brother Ringer, for asking me to go with you on this team. It was such an honor to be there. It was very humbling uh, to see what happened. And I, I want to, I can add to the story. I better shut up here. I better stop. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Howard. We love you. And I'm so glad you got to go. He was a tremendous, tremendous asset to the team. And I, uh, I think as a church, you are aware that I reached a point before leaving that I basically had no one to go. There was no one willing to go with me. But as we began to pray, there were men that I felt compelled to call upon and did not even realize it until later, the connection um, with some of these men and the country of Zimbabwe of all places. But Brother Howard, my, when my wife and I were driving down the road and I was just trying to think who, who would be someone that has a heart for missions and 
understands what it's like to work, and I knew that Brother Howard had served as a missionary in El Salvador, and so he came to mind, and I felt strongly to call him, but I had forgotten that when he was in college, actually one of his closest friends was from the very city we just got back from. And uh, he had had a burden for that city and that country ever since college uh, because of that man. And uh, I didn't realize that when I felt, I mean, I, I knew it. I had forgotten that when I felt impressed to ask him to be a part of it. And I do appreciate his burden, and I appreciate his help, and he was a tremendous, tremendous asset. Praise God. Amen. I want you to open your Bibles to a familiar passage of Scripture tonight. And I, this is going to be different. Um, I had expressed to Brother Brandon a little bit of what I intended to do because he was actually the, the, uh, the ministers, the young ministers of the church were so thoughtful um, that they mentioned to me he said you'll probably be exhausted when you get back from Africa would you like for one of us to take care of the service and I said well really that would be good because I know I will be exhausted and I'll just tell you I was so tired when I got in last night I sat in my recliner with my computer in my lap I was trying to work on a presentation and kept falling asleep with the computer in my lap and I would wake up and try to work and fall asleep and wake up and try to work and fall asleep and finally told my wife, I am wasting time. I might as well just shut the computer down and go to bed. And, uh, and that's what I did. So I appreciate their thoughtfulness. Uh, and so Brother Brandon was supposed to preach tonight. And I just mentioned to him kind of what had happened, what had transpired between Brother Howard and I. And he came in and, and told Josh. Josh got the idea it was a presentation that I'm making. I'm not making a presentation tonight. I don't have a presentation ready to make tonight. Um, I'm just going to tell you what happened. And, and um, no, I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to tell you what happened. And I can't preach. You've got to understand that. I can't. And so my, my voice won't let me. But I am, I'm going to just tell you what happened. But I want to put it in the setting and the context of Scripture for you to really comprehend. Because it is far, far beyond what I could just relay to you in mere words. Acts chapter 2 is a familiar setting of Scripture for us. But this is where I want to take you tonight. And I have just a few verses. I have not asked for a reader. I have not given the sound booth scriptures to put on the wall, even though I do have a few verses. But I'm going to just, I'm going to just give you a few verses to set the stage and then just tell you the story of what has taken place over the last however many days it's been now. Acts chapter 2. And verse 37, and I know uh, of all things, of all things, tonight uh, our live stream went down just as church was getting ready to start. 
There were people that knew that I was planning to talk about it that intentionally were logging in to listen. The live stream went down. Um, I think we have found a way to bypass that, and I think that we actually have provided at least a few folks with an alternate um, web address whereby they could listen. And for their sakes, I want to just again apologize for my voice. They didn't get to hear the first part where I explained that I preached for 11 hours in the last three days, not counting the time praying in the altar, not counting the question and answer sessions, just 11 hours of preaching in three days. And so my voice is pretty well worn out. Uh, and I apologize for the quality or the lack thereof for those that are listening online. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What a revival. What an outpouring. What a miracle. But I believe the key to it all is found in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word. And so if we're going to put a title on this tonight, that's what I'm going to title it. Gladly receiving the word. Gladly receiving the word. Why don't we just lift our hands and talk to the Lord one more time. And Church, listen, I know I'm just telling you a story. But I believe God can speak to us tonight.
I believe God can deal with us tonight. I believe God can change us tonight. Can we feel after him right now? Can we talk to him right now, everybody, Lord, in the name of Jesus? Tonight, Jesus. Oh, come on, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Gladly receiving the word. Amen. May God bless you. You may be seated. What an interesting statement that is, that is made. And we as apostolics, we know verse 37. We know verse 38. We know verse 39. Some of us know verse 40. But most of the time in our preaching, most of the time in our relating of this story, we never get as far as verse 41. But I believe verse 41 plays an extremely important part in everything that happened that day. For the Bible says that they gladly received his word. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. They gladly received his word. The word gladly in the original means with pleasure means with joy. They didn't just receive the word, but they were glad to hear it. They were joyful about it. There was a happiness in their heart when the word of God came their way. The word received means to take fully. Oh, I like this, Brother Howard. It's not a matter of picking and choosing. It's not a matter of, well, this passage applies to me, but I think that one's just going to be a little hard for me to follow. It's not a matter of sitting on the pew and saying, well, pastor, I know you think that's a good idea, but I just, you know, you just don't understand my situation. When it says they received it, it means they took it all. Everything that was delivered that day, they just opened their heart and took it all. Hallelujah. It means to welcome. It means to approve. It means to accept. Barnes notes on the New Testament says that this word rendered gladly means freely, cheerfully, joyfully. It implies that they did it without compulsion. Nobody had to stand over them and make them feel bad about not doing it. Nobody had to shame them into obedience. 
just gladly received it. Now you understand that what Peter preached to the crowd that day went against every tradition they had ever embraced. What Peter preached to them that day was different than any doctrine they had ever heard. But at that moment in time, they threw all of their traditions out. They threw all of their doctrines out and they opened their heart and they opened their spirit and they said, this is right and we accept it and we're glad to accept it. Now, Barnes goes on to say that even though so many received his word and were baptized. 3,000 were baptized. Yet this statement implies that there were others who did not gladly receive the word. It is probable, Dr. Barnes says, that there were multitudes assembled who were alarmed but who did not receive the word with joy. I'm going to tell you there are always two groups of people who hear the word of God. There are those who receive it and there are those who reject it. And rejecting it is not always a matter of saying, well, that's not in the Bible. Rejecting it can be done by simply not obeying what you've heard. A lack of obedience is as much rejection as a lack of belief. The author of Hebrews described this very thing in chapter 4, verse 2, when he said, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. They heard the same thing we heard. They heard the same thing we heard but it just didn't do for them what it did for us because they just didn't have the faith we had. Well, hallelujah. Evidently, the apostle Paul encountered this on more than one occasion. He wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, are you hearing what I'm telling you tonight? Paul said, I thank God without ceasing. Now, why was he so excited? Why did he every day thank God for the church at Thessalonica? Every day? You want to know why? Because there were many days that he preached to people that they said, well, that's just him. There were many times he preached to people that they walked away unstirred, unmoved, unchanged. But he said there was something different about Thessalonica that when I preached to them, they said, this is right. That's not Paul's idea. That's God's idea. And I accept what God has to say. The Apostle James also addressed this subject in James 1 and 21. He said, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness 
and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. Orange note says that this means we should open the mind and heart to instruction and to the fair influence of truth. Receive the word with meekness. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that revival depends on the way we receive the word of God. The Bible says in verse 41 that they gladly receive the word. And because they gladly received the word, 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. But it didn't stop that day, for the Lord added to the church every day. Why? Why was he adding to the church? Why was he giving revival? I'll tell you why. Because there was a group of people that gladly received the word. Nobody's got to knock them upside the head. Nobody's got to get up and scream at them. Nobody's got to get on to them. Nobody's got to take them in the office and reprimand them. Nobody's got to ask them, what do you think you're doing? But they gladly received what was preached by the man of God. They said, this is, I said, I wasn't going to preach. They said, this is what we want. This is the word of God. You don't have to make us do this. You don't have to force us to do this. This is what we want. And when a group of people got that kind of attitude, that's when God sent revival. Hallelujah. Be seated, be seated. And so, so it was. This is what we encountered in the country of Zimbabwe. It was a group of people who gladly received the word. Let me just tell you about Zimbabwe, about what happened. Just as a reminder those of you that are here and those that are listening online, this didn't start yesterday. This didn't start last week. This didn't start last month. This all began 12 years ago, 2001, when Pastor Edward Chitsiku came to my office to talk to me. Pastor Chitsiku's daughter and son-in-law had moved to Kansas City from Zimbabwe. He wanted to find a Pentecostal church for them to go to. You know, God has blessed this church, and when I came here 17 years ago, I got a phone call from AT&T wanting to know if we wanted to put an ad in the Yellow Pages. As I began to talk to the man selling the ad, he asked me about our belief. Come to find out, Brother Howard, he was P.A.W., and he said, you know, we believe the same thing. We believe Acts 2.38. He said, there's not another apostolic church in Kansas City that's got an ad. He said, I'm going to cut you a deal. And he sold us an ad in the Yellow Pages. We were the only oneness Jesus named church in the, in the Kansas City Yellow Pages that had an ad. And he sold it to us for almost nothing. In fact, when he changed jobs and the next person came on they called me to renew the ad 
and, and began to tell me how much it would cost. And I said, whoa, whoa, that's way more than we're paying. And they looked at it. They said, man, he did cut you a deal. But we were the only church with an ad. But we're listed under Pentecostal. And so Reverend Chitsiku's looking for a Pentecostal church. That's what he considered himself. But he was Trinitarian. But he saw our ad, so he comes to visit with us. And we begin to talk. I spent the day talking to him in my office. By the end of the day, he was in tears. He said, I've never heard this doctrine. I've never heard this message. You have to come to Zimbabwe and preach it. I said, I'll pray about it. I'll think about it. I said, where are you at in the country of Zimbabwe? He said, I'm in the capital city, Harare. I said, you know, I went to college with a man that's somewhere in Zimbabwe right now. I'll see where he's at. I began to look. I found out he was in that very same city. I don't have time to retell that whole story, but, but to make a long story short, I ended up going to Zimbabwe in 2001. My wife and I flew out of Kansas City on July the 4th. 2001 because as we were leaving from Detroit we flew from here to Detroit Michigan and as we were flying out of Detroit we were watching the fireworks go off that's how I remember the exact date that we went we left on July the 4th of 2001 we went to Zimbabwe and I met with that group of some 25 pastors that were under the leadership of Edward Chitsiku he was the head of a, of a Trinitarian Pentecostal organization. He gave me a day. I had one day at a hotel to teach all of the pastors and their wives. I taught them. I spent the day preaching to them, teaching them, trying to answer questions. And then uh, the next day we had a general service where they all got together and I preached and we had some folks get the Holy Ghost. But that was all the contact I had with them was just those two days. And uh, I'm not going to give you the details. You don't need to know the details. But suffice it to say that men got involved in what was going on. And men did their best to stop the effort and literally drove a wedge between me and those people to the point that they had no way of contacting me. They had no way of getting in touch with me. The work that Pastor Chitsiku was under was about to split because some of them accepted the message and some of them did not. And he controlled everything. He owned every church building. He owned every parsonage. And, and if a man left his group to start preaching this message, uh, Reverend Chitsiku even turned against me. And, and if, if they left his group in order to accept this message, they would have to move out of their homes and they'd have to resign their churches. And so none of them would do that except one man. And he did. He left. And uh, he uh, joined another group that was baptizing in Jesus' name. But there was another man who was the general secretary of that group that was disturbed by what I preached. He, he, he said, this sounds right, but I want to know more. But he had no way of getting a hold of me, but, but it never let him go. And for 12 years, he tried to find out how to reach me. For 12 years, he tried to search to find me, to find someone who knew how to get in touch with me because he wanted to know more. And so last November, my phone rang, and it was Bishop Musakwa. And Bishop Musakwa was the man who was the general secretary, second in command of Chitsiku's group. And, and Bishop Musakwa told me the story. 
And he said, I, I believed that what you said was right. I felt in my heart and in my spirit that you are a man of God, but I must know more. Would you please come back to Zimbabwe and tell us more? Would you please come and preach to us? And so I agreed to come back. Amen. To try to help them out. It's a long story. I don't have time to tell you everything that transpired within the next few months, but it was a roller coaster ride to say the least. I would be encouraged about going, and then it seemed like the rug would be pulled out from under me, and then I would just feel like there's no way I could go. I didn't have the money to go. I didn't have any way to go. I didn't have anybody to go with me, and I reached a point that I was ready to just say, forget it. We had an evangelist scheduled to start a revival here in this church on a Thursday night just a couple of months ago and I was again disappointed when the evangelist called and said I cannot come and cannot start revival there and we're going to have to postpone it until August and, and I told him that's fine I, I understand but I still was disappointed. Well I, I began to try to find out who could help me in this effort to go to Zimbabwe if God even wanted me to go and, and time and again me said there's a man by the name of Bishop Aston that is in Kenya. He can help you if you can reach him. I would ask them, do you know his phone number? No, we don't have his phone number. Do you have an email address? No, we don't have an email address. We don't know how to get a hold of him, but if you can get a hold of him, he can help you. Well, I didn't know what to do except to pray. And then one day my phone rang and Brother David Smith, who's been a friend of mine for many years, he is a close friend with Bishop Aston's. He called me and he said, Brother Riggin Bishop Aston is going to be in Kansas. Can you use him? He has one night open and it was the night we were supposed to start revival. And I said, yes, I can use him. I'm telling you, God put it all together. God laid it all out exactly as it needed to be. Bishop Aston came. I talked to him. He prayed about it. He told me the next day, Brother Riggin, I feel good in the Holy Ghost. You've got to go to Zimbabwe. In fact, I feel so good about I'm going to be there. If there's any way that I could get there from Kenya, I'm coming to meet you because I am convinced that God has his hand on this effort and God is going to do something great in Zimbabwe. Amen. And so it was settled. We were going. Well, let me just tell you, it was not an easy journey from here to Harare. It's not an easy journey. We flew from here to Chicago, from Chicago to Frankfurt, Germany. Now, the Chicago to Frankfurt was an overnight flight. We got into Frankfurt, I think it won something in the afternoon, and then we had to spend about eight hours in the airport after not sleeping all night, and then fly out of Frankfurt that night for another overnight flight into the country of South Africa. Now, for those of you who don't know much about geography, South Africa is not a description of the southern part of the continent. South Africa is a country of its own. So when I say we flew to South Africa, I don't just mean we went to the southern part of the African continent. I mean we went to the country of South Africa. All right, got that? So we, we had an overnight flight from Frankfurt to to Johannesburg, South Africa, and then we would fly from uh, Johannesburg into Harare, Zimbabwe. We would leave out on a Tuesday afternoon and not arrive until Thursday afternoon. 
two nights back to back with no sleep. It's not an easy thing to do. But along the way, we hit difficulties, um, unbelievable difficulties, because when we got to Kansas City Airport, they gave us boarding passes. Now, we just, we, we just went to Israel in January. We went to Panama in March. I've been overseas many times. I've never had this happen. But when we checked in, they only gave us boarding passes as far as Frankfurt. And, and they said, you'll have to check in when you get to Frankfurt and get boarding passes there. Okay, whatever. I've never seen this happen, but okay. So we fly from here to Chicago. We get to Chicago. We're getting ready to board, and they're looking through the list, and they tell Brother Howard and Brother Ogle, we're sorry, you're not on this flight, or something to that effect. We don't have, we don't have seats for you on this flight. So I called the travel agent that sold us the tickets. I said, what's going on? She said, I don't know. We'll get on it. We'll try to get it worked out. They finally got them on the flight uh, to go on to Frankfurt. So we get to Frankfurt. We spend the day in Frankfurt, get ready to start boarding. Uh, actually, they told us that the gate would open two hours before the flight time, and I think it was about an hour before they finally got to the gate, so we had to wait. We were only one hour from flight time. We go to get ready to check in to get our boarding passes, and they looked at me and said, Mr. Riggin, we're sorry. You do not have a seat on this flight. Plane is full. The flight is full. Every seat's taken, and you don't have a seat. And they don't fly out again from Frankfurt to South Africa for two days. And I'm going to be stuck in Frankfurt, Germany from whatever it was. I was going to be stuck there two days. Anyhow, I lose track of the days. But, but, but it was going to be Saturday, I think, before I finally got there. And I said, no, that's not happening. And they said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put you on standby. I said, no. I paid $2,000 for a plane ticket. I didn't pay $2,000 to be on standby. You're getting me on this plane. They said, we're going to do what we can. I said, no, you're getting me on this plane. And they kept telling me, no, you're on standby. And we argued, and we fussed, and I called the travel agent, and she tried to work on it. And it was just a mess. And finally, one of the supervisors came out and said, all right, all right, here's your ticket, your, your boarding pass. All right, you're on the flight. I said, okay, thank you. So we're in line to start boarding, and they announce on the PA system, Gregory Riggin, please come to the ticket counter. So I get up there, and they said, sir, you cannot board this plane. I said, Why? They said, because the luggage that you checked in Kansas City is not checked in your name, and you cannot fly unless your luggage is checked in your name. You cannot get on this plane. I said, I'm getting on this plane. And we went through another major hassle, and they literally had to go out and touch the luggage with their hand and mark it as my own name and finally let me on the plane. So I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, what happened. I believe the devil was angry with the fact that we were going and he was going to do everything he could to stop us, but he didn't win. So
So we flew out another overnighter from Frankfurt, Germany to Johannesburg, 10-hour flight. Those seats get mighty hard in 10 hours. 10-hour flight from, from Frankfurt to Johannesburg. Had a little bit of a layover in Johannesburg, and then we flew on to Harare. We were exhausted, two nights with no sleep. Walk into the hotel, and I'm standing there getting ready to check into the hotel, and a voice behind me says, Pastor Riggin. And I turn around, and it's Bishop Musakwa, and he's there to meet me. Well, let me back up. At the airport, they were supposed to have somebody to take us from the airport to the hotel, and they didn't. And we waited and waited, and they never showed up. And now we find it getting the taxis or something. I forget what we did now. We got taxis to take us, took two taxis, because when we say taxi and they say taxi, it's not always the same word. You hear what I'm saying? And we got five of us and our luggage, and those taxis only seated like three people. And so anyhow, two taxis to get us to the hotel. We get there. We're exhausted. We're wore out. We're frustrated. And Bishop Musak was standing there. And he said, uh, he said, Bishop Aston has already arrived, and we just want you to know we're having church tonight. Hallelujah. It's just what I wanted to hear. Thankfully, Bishop Aston was preaching. And so he said, I told the guys, I said, look, what, what do you men want to do? They said, we're here. Let's just have church. I said, that's exactly what I'm thinking. So we literally ran into our room, freshened up just as quickly as we could, changed clothes, ran right back down to the lobby, and piled into vehicles. And when I say piled, I mean piled into vehicles and took off for a church service that was held in a lean-to built against Bishop Musakwa's house. I don't know what the size of the crowd was that night, probably about 120 people there in that little lean-to outside. Bishop Aston preached. I'm telling you, he preached with an anointing as though there were 2,000 people present. The power of God moved in that place. He asked how many wanted the Holy Ghost. Brother Howard counted the hands. There were at least 50 people who said, we want the Holy Ghost. There were 50 that actually came to the altar. That's what it was. 50 that came to the altar to seek the Holy Ghost that night. We don't know how many received the Holy Ghost. You know, it's hard for us Americans to tell the difference between talking in tongues and speaking the Shona language that is native to Zimbabwe. So we didn't know if they're speaking Shona or they're speaking in tongues. But we were able to confirm and ask around, and we do know that there were many that received the Holy Ghost that night and thank God for it. Now, let me, let me just back up a little bit just to tell you that Bishop Aston, when he met us at the hotel, was not alone. But he introduced me to a friend of his. He told me we've been friends for many years. This man is Pastor Simon. Pastor Simon is the one that Brother Howard mentioned that actually is over 15 different churches, not just in Zimbabwe, but also in Botswana and in South Africa. Uh, Pastor Simon is a man who had a degree in theology, and he had some secular degrees as well. He had been the CEO of a record company. He gave it all up. Uh, do what? 
of three different uh, companies, and, and he gave it all up to become a preacher. Walked away from every bit of it. So again, we're not talking about ignorant and unlearned people. We're talking about men of high degree, men of great quality. Pastor Simon was there. Pastor Simon spoke, uh, was it eight languages? I forget how many languages. Eight different languages that he was fluent in. And so these are intelligent men, you understand. Pastor Simon was there with us. Uh, so anyhow, just wanted to throw that in because Pastor Simon was one of the main interpreters for us during the seminar. The next day we start our seminar, uh, Friday morning. We got in. We had church Thursday night. We had seminars starting bright and early Friday morning. And they went around the room and introduced themselves. There were in that room between 12 and 15 pastors uh, of churches. Now, again, when I say pastor, we in America think one pastor, one church. But for them, they don't just build a church and everybody drives to that church. Not everybody has transportation. So they will put a church in the location where there are people. And one man may have to pastor several different churches because they've got to be where the people can get to them within walking distance. And so uh, just Pastor Musakwa and, and Pastor Simon and one other man, Pastor Charles, who was also one of our interpreters, those three men alone pastored 30 churches. 15 Pastor Simon, 8 with Pastor Musakwa, 7 with Pastor Charles. There were 12 to 15 pastors there. Many of them were under Pastor Musakwa or one of the others that were present, but there were still some 50 different churches represented in that crowd of 50 people that were there. Not everybody there was a pastor. Are you following my math? There were, there were about 12 to 15 pastors. Many of them had their wives but there were also leaders in those churches, but there were some 50 different churches represented. They went around the room, introduced themselves. I then introduced our team that was there with us, Brother Ogle from Atchison, Brother Stevens from Arkansas, Brother Evangelist Howard, myself, and Bishop Aston from Kenya. And then we got right into the session, started teaching. Brother Stevens was first on the list. He began to teach about the importance of the Word of God. And he used an example that you as a church have heard me use many times. He, he told them the story of Noah. He said, you know, we've always heard our tradition says that there are only two of each kind of animal that got on board the ark. He said, but let's look at what the Bible says. And he took them to the scripture, and it says that of the clean, they went in by sevens. And, 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 he, and, and when he said that, and Brother Howard can testify, there was almost an audible gasp around the room as that crowd realized and a revelation hit them, Brother uh, Merriman, that you know what? We've been preaching something that wasn't in the Bible. This is just our tradition, and it's not in the Bible. And when they saw that, something happened. A spiritual wall began to tumble, and it was like, if we're wrong on this point, what else might we be wrong about? If, we're, if we've been teaching this just because it's tradition, what else are we teaching that is simply tradition? And I'm telling you, something broke in that very first session. Something broke. The very next session, Brother Howard got up and preached to them about the apostles' doctrine. 
took them to the book of Luke and said, this is what Jesus told his apostles to preach, Luke 24, and then took them to the book of Acts and said, I want you to see that that's exactly what they preached. After he got through, I got up and began to teach on baptism in Jesus' name. Church, I cannot, I cannot begin to describe for you what happened in that session. I'm just telling you, you have to see it for yourself. As those pastors around the room, as I began to preach, and Pastor Simon, I don't think he was interpreting for me then. I think Pastor Charles was interpreting. Pastor Simon was sitting beside Brother Howard. But as I began to preach on Jesus' name baptism, Pastor Simon, the man who spoke eight languages, the man with many degrees, the man that's over 15 churches, he began to exclaim, my God, my God, my God, my God. As he began to realize this is truth. When we got through that session, I opened for question and answer. Probably went two or three hours in question and answer, answering everything. That, and they had so many questions. But I began to answer the questions. God gave me the grace to do it. And I'm telling you, when we got through with that session, it was next time for Pastor Simon to step up. I don't even know what he was supposed to be doing. But he stepped to the pulpit. He began to talk. In just a few moments, he fell to his knees. He was weeping. He was sobbing. He said, I want God to forgive me. I have been preaching false doctrine all of these years, but I see today I must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He told Brother Howard, he said, just before I came to this meeting, I had just finished writing the statement of faith that would represent the 15 churches that I pastor. He said, but I'm tearing it up. That's not right. That's not our statement of faith anymore. That's not what we believe anymore. I think it was during that question and answer session that Pastor Charles stood up and he said, what do I do about all the people that I've baptized in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? He said, I'm here to tell you I have been a spiritual murderer. I've been preaching false doctrine to people. I've got to know how to fix this problem. Church, do you understand? These were pastors. These were leaders. But one man stood before them and said, here's the word of God. And they gladly rejected all of their tradition, rejected everything they ever stood for, and said, it's Bible. I see it. It's right. <sighs> Hallelujah. 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 And we immediately made plans for a baptismal service the following day. It wasn't on our original schedule, but we knew we had to put it on the schedule. We had to do something about it. Hallelujah. The next session, Brother Ogle got up and began to teach on the oneness of God. Began to teach them here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Brother Ogle told us that night he wasn't feeling well. 
he, he, he admitted to Brother Howard, he said, I just, I'm just not feeling good. And he felt like he had just been scattered when he tried to teach it. He felt like this was his own testimony. That he just felt he was scattered. He felt like he really didn't accomplish much. And, and, and we went home that night wondering, you know, how did they receive that? The next day, we, we talked about it as a team that we would come back and just open the day with question and answer and go as far as we needed to go. That was not what the schedule called for, but it's what we felt we needed to do. We opened the floor. We began to talk about the oneness of God. We began to answer their questions. And I'm telling you, you could see it again. When revelation fell in that room, something happened. Church, I don't even know how to explain this to you. I have never seen this happen in all my life. I've taught men the oneness. I've seen men get the revelation, but I've never seen anything like this. I stood before them. I said, I want to know something. How do you explain what happened when Jesus cried on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And preacher after preacher stood up and explained it as it was according to the oneness of God. I'm telling you, they had a revelation. It wasn't just something they were accepting. They got it. They accepted it. They received it totally and received it with gladness. I know of people that have been to Bible school that could not answer it as articulately as those men did after just 24 hours of hearing the message. They got it. It was real. At the end of that question, There was a man on the far back, all the way against the wall. And to be honest with you, he looked very scraggly looking, just didn't seem like he had it all together. And he stood up, raised his hand, he wanted to say something. And I really thought, man, I hope he's able to say, say something worthwhile. And he articulated the revelation of the mighty God in Christ as well as any preacher I've ever heard anywhere. He had such an unbelievable uh, understanding and revelation of the mighty God in Christ. It was mind-boggling to those of us sitting there. I, I just looked around stunned at the, at the level of understanding in that time that God gave him. He, he, he knew the Word. He knew the Scriptures. He applied it. It, it was such an uh, unbelievable God moment is all I can say. And, and, and there were several of those. I can't... Church, I can't tell you. I, I can't tell you. They said they just got kicked off the live stream, so let's see what we can find out, Brother Brandon. Go see what you can do. Um, that's why I've got, I'm, I'm not texting during church, but I've got it up here because I want people to hear. Those that are listening, I want them to be able to hear, so you forgive me, but, but we're just trying to stay on top of the technology, all right? But I cannot begin to express to you what it was like. It really, and many of us made this statement, it was like living in the book of Acts. To see it happen like this, to see it transpire like this, it, it's not like, and again, I've taught many Bible studies. I've baptized Trinitarian preachers before, but I've never seen anything like this where they didn't just comprehend it. They got a revelation that went to the depths of their understanding to the point that they could explain it as well as we could. 
and it was just amazing. Well, we closed that session, that question and answer session, and got ready. We were going right behind the hotel was a public swimming pool, and we had rented the swimming pool in order to have a mass baptismal service for those that wanted to be baptized that were sitting there, the pastors, their wives, and the leaders that were in that meeting, 50-some-odd people there that day. And at the conclusion of that question and answer service, something hit me. It was the most severe headache I have ever experienced in my life. It was like someone put a metal band around the top of my head and just began to pull it tighter and tighter and tighter until it felt like it was going to explode. I became extremely dizzy. I couldn't hardly stand up. I asked the men to pray for me. Bishop Aston looked at me and he said, Brother Riggett, let me tell you what's happening. This is a spiritual attack because you have dared to challenge the spirits of Zimbabwe. You have come against the spiritual seat of Satan that has been set up in this country and it's a spiritual attack and they began to pray and they began to rebuke the devil. I still felt terrible. I felt horrible but I said we're going on. We're going to baptize these people. Let's get to the water. Let's get down there. Let's get them baptized. We went down to the swimming pool. I took three of them, Pastor Simon, Pastor Musakwa and Pastor Charles who seemed to be the leaders among the group and I told the people, Bishop Aston exhorted for a little while and then explained that I was going to baptize the three leaders and that I was giving them the authority to baptize the rest of the group that wanted to be baptized. I did that. I baptized those three men in Jesus' name and then stood back and watched. It was almost like they had a photographic memory. The words that I spoke were exactly what they said. Time after time as they baptized people, we watched over 50 people be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in that one session. It was 53 people that got baptized that day. 53 people baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Many of them come out of the water shouting and dancing. Some of them, they're having to try to hold them from just going all the way under again. And some of them come out of the water standing up on the concrete side, still shouting and dancing, worshiping God from the glory of God that fell at that swimming pool that day. Amen. 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 I, I walked away from that still in severe pain, still, still hurting, still sick. And so I asked the brethren, I said, would you mind if I just go to the room and try to rest for a few moments? And you, you men go back and, and carry on. I'll be there as soon as I can. I, I just, I've got to get some kind of relief. I've got, and even I posted some of you saw I posted a request for prayer. I know many of you prayed for me, and I appreciate it very much. I am convinced it's a spiritual attack. In fact, I talked to Brother Owens today, and he told me there was a time when his pastor was in Ethiopia. Brother Robert Davis was in Ethiopia preaching and, and was going through something like this, and he had the exact same symptoms hit him and realized it was a spiritual attack. And so I know the devil was just mad at what was going on. He was not happy about what was happening, but nevertheless, I still felt bad and couldn't seem to get any relief, so I sent the others on, said, you go on, carry on. They got back. The people began to sing and worship, introduced a song to them that we will never get out of our system. And uh, even maybe if we have a few minutes before I close, we may even play it for you. We got them to sing it for us again and recorded the audio, make it, let, let you hear it uh, perhaps before we finish tonight. But, but in a little while, I felt up to coming back in 
to the session, and but they had just been singing and worshiping God. And then when I got back, they began to allow testimonies, and they had some of the men stand up and talk, and those men stood up and said, thank God for the revelation of truth. Thank God. God for what we've heard. Thank God. And I'm telling you, some of them, when we first started, uh, I remember the one man who, who asked some of the off-the-wall questions. He was one of the ones that stood and testified that day about thanking God for I, I don't know how old he was, but he was the one that yeah, but he he uh, he began to testify about thanking God for the revelation of truth, and, and and preacher after preacher stood and wept and thanked God that they now knew the truth about the mighty God in Christ and and the baptism in Jesus' name, and 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 so when that was over, I had told Brother Howard, I said, you just obey the Holy Ghost, you just do whatever you feel. It was on the schedule for him to teach a lesson, but he didn't feel like teaching; he felt like preaching, and it was right on target, and. and and God just used him to come along and confirm some things and strengthen some things. And the Holy Ghost fell again in a powerful way. And when he got through, then it was Brother Ogle's turn. And Brother Ogle said, there is yet a subject that we must deal with, for you have not heard it all yet. We've got to talk to you about the importance of separation from the world. And he taught a beautiful lesson about being separated from the world. And he didn't really go into a lot of details about everything. But one thing he did mention was that, you know, it's an abomination for a woman to wear that which pertains to a man. Well, that took a lot of boldness to make that statement because uh, there was probably at least a third or more of the women sitting in that session that had on pants. And, and... And, and, and I felt a little bit of a resistance when he said it. There had not been any resistance to anything that had been preached. But when he got through, I just stepped up and, and I said, let me just tell you something. And, and I, I, I said, this is very simple. But I said, you know, I've preached in many countries. I've been in many places. And not everywhere is as English friendly as Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe used to be an English colony owned by Great Britain. And so much of what you see there is written in English and English signs and English directions and, and but it's not that way everywhere I said if you go to a country where there is no English how do I know which bathroom to go into and they looked at one another I said it's really pretty simple because I just go to the one where the individuals wearing pants and I stay out of the one where the individuals wearing a dress and all of a sudden you could feel the revelation hit again and I'm telling you some of those women began to weep Pastor Musakwa's wife grabbed my hand. She was sobbing. She said, why hasn't anybody told us this before? Why hasn't anybody taught us this before? Why didn't we already know this? And they wept and they sobbed. Let me tell you, Brother Merriman, the next day when we had our general church service and everybody got together, Brother Howard had gone off to preach somewhere at another church, but when he pulled up, both of the Musakwas met him at the car. When he stepped out, they grabbed his hand and Sister Musakwa looked at him and smiled. She said, Evangelist Howard, there's not one woman here today who has on pants. They all have on a dress. After he said that in a session when the revelation came about separation, I don't know if your pastor noticed it or not, but the women that were crying and weeping, many of them begin to get towels that they'd used at baptism and 
Some of them had little shawl things they had because it was cold for them. And they just wrapped them around their waist and tie them. And they, they, they were embarrassed. He said, they, they said that we're embarrassed that we have pants on. And they were crying, holding his hand. You know, several of them crying. And different ones all around the congregation were crying. And then on Sunday when I got there, there was at least 200 people. And the vast majority of them don't have any communication, techno, tech, you know, cell phones or anything. How they got the word out, I have no idea. They don't have, most of them don't have vehicles. But all the women had on dresses. I'm talking to you about gladly receiving the word. How many times have I had to preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach to get some people to obey a standard that you tell them one time and everybody changes? Talking about gladly receiving the word. In the closing session that evening, Bishop Aston preached. He started out by giving them examples of his own wife and uh, a job situation where they told her, you have to wear pants. She said, I will not. And, and she stood her ground, and God blessed her as a result. She was an attorney. And even to the point where they said that every female attorney had to wear pants, and she said, well, this one's not. By the time it was all over, the judge issued a ruling that every female attorney that steps in this courtroom will wear a dress. Hallelujah. Because she stood her ground. He talked about his daughter and her educational process and the school uniform that they required was pants. He said, this one's not wearing pants. And, and he, he just talked. He gave them every excuse that they could try to offer. He showed where his family had already been through it, had stood their ground, and God had blessed them. Amen. And then he went on to preach, and he preached to them about the importance of continuing in the message that they had received. And when he finished... Oh, church, when he finished. The room was set up with tables in a U shape with the pulpit at the front and then a U around the sides of the room. When Bishop Aston finished preaching, every person there, without exception, got up out of their seat and came, and they didn't just stand. They knelt before us and asked us to pray for them. And we went through that room laying hands on them. Many of them, you understand for Trinitarian Pentecostals, they believe you can receive the Holy Ghost. They don't believe you have to receive it. So even many of the pastor's wives did not have the Holy Ghost. But we saw a number of them get the Holy Ghost right there in that hotel meeting room that night. We watched as God touched them as they wept and sobbed and humbled themselves before us. The next day we split up uh, and, and each member of the team went to a different church. They had churches in their own locations and, and uh, I had just asked them. I was already having voice problems and I had asked, could I please rest this one service? Would you please not make me preach this one Sunday morning? Let my voice rest. They'd already told me that in the afternoon everybody was coming together and, and we were going to have a big afternoon service and they wanted me to teach. This would be all the saints. You understand the seminar was for the preachers 
pastors and the top leaders and their wives. But this day, it would be all the saints coming together. And they wanted me to preach on Jesus' name, baptism to the saints that day. And I said, would you please just let my voice rest in the morning? And so they allowed me to just stay with Bishop Aston, and he preached for Pastor Musakwa, preached about stubborn faith. And I mean, he preached it, and the Holy Ghost fell. And I don't know how many got the Holy Ghost that morning. But but others went to different places, and, and uh, I, I, I'm going to have to look at my notes to see who all went where again, because I don't want to miss any. And I know my time is up, but give me just a few more minutes, will you? Give me a few more minutes to finish up. So, so uh, Brother Howard uh, went with Pastor Nicholas December. What a man Pastor December is. Just a brilliant young man in his mid-30s. And I don't remember how many churches he was over, but he was over several of them as well. Three. He was over three churches uh, himself, but just a fine, fine young man, uh, very intelligent, very intellectual. And, and Brother Howard went to preach in one of his churches and, and, uh, and asked for people to come that needed the Holy Ghost. And um, he had, uh, I, evidently I've got the wrong, I didn't put the new page of notes in, Brother Howard, but there were six that we know of. I'm on page six, but I think I put the old one in here instead of the new one. Do you have the new one? Did I give that to you? I, I made notes there. I made a change, so I'd make sure we got it right. But uh, no, this says the same thing. Just says several, several people were filled with the Holy Ghost that day um, when Brother Howard preached in Pastor December's church. There were a number of folks. I think he said some 40 that came down and said they wanted the Holy Ghost in that service. And many of them received the Holy Ghost. We don't know how many again, but many of those 40 that came forward received the Holy Ghost in Pastor December's church. Brother Stevens went with Pastor Simon. Pastor Simon opened the service by standing before his people and saying, I want to announce to you that yesterday I was rebaptized." And then he stopped and he said, no, wait, that's not right. Yesterday, I was baptized. The first time it happened didn't count because it wasn't done the Bible way. This is what he told his congregation. He said, I want you to know. He said, you know me. You don't convert me easily. You don't change me easily. But I stand before you today to tell you that in the last two days, I have been converted. And no longer do we preach a message of three, uh, three persons in the Godhead. But beginning this day, this church preaches that there's only one God. This church preaches that you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Brother Ogle, Brother Ogle went with Pastor Charles to preach in his church. Pastor Charles' father was 73, I think, 73 years old, had never set foot in a church in 73 years, had never been to church. But he was very sick. He had diabetes. He was almost blind. He lived out in a rural area, but they had gone to pick him up because he was very sick that day, and they wanted him to be with him, and he agreed to come to church. Brother Ogle, sitting in his wheelchair, preached faith to those people. That 73-year-old man was so moved. 
He said, I cannot imagine. Never in my life have I seen compassion like this that an American in a wheelchair would come all the way to Zimbabwe to preach to us about faith in God. He told his son, he said, that is the kind of God I want to serve. He came down. They laid hands on him. God healed him instantly of everything that was wrong with him. They're going to baptize him this Saturday in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm getting close to the end. Be seated. I'm getting close to the end. We're at Sunday now. And so everybody was in different churches. We all came together then. After the, the individual services were over, we all came together, had a meal. They cooked there. We ate Roadrunner if you're interested. It's, that's what they said. Said it was Roadrunner. And I know I've never seen chicken legs that long, so it was something. Nor that scrawny. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, but that's what we had. And uh, after we finished eating, then Bishop Musakwa, or, or Bishop Aston exhorted them, or maybe that was before we ate, before we ate, Bishop Aston exhorted them and warned them. He said, I want to tell you now, there are wolves that are coming. There are men that are going to try to convince you that this is false doctrine, that you've gone off into a cult. He said, don't follow. And he preached and he exhorted, did a tremendous job. We ate and then we came back for another session for me to try to teach and preach. They wanted me to preach on Jesus' name baptism, but I felt impressed with the Holy Ghost that that wasn't the only thing I needed to cover. And so I preached from Acts 19 where Paul asked the, the, the believers uh, at Ephesus two questions. Number one, he asked them how you were baptized. And number two, he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost? And I said, I'm going to ask you those two questions. And so I began to preach about baptism in Jesus' name. The interpreter that was there with me was preaching right along with me. Was it like somebody just translating words? He was getting just as anointed as I was. And I'm telling you, I got down to baptism in Jesus' name. And I told what you've heard me tell many times, so simple, so plain. And, and I just said, I said, if God spoke from heaven right now and said, Pastor Riggin, go preach. And then I turned and looked and said, Pastor Simon, go preach. Did I obey God? And the crowd said, no, you did not obey God. I said, that's right. All I did was repeat his words. I didn't do what he said. I said in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus did not say repeat after me. Jesus said go and baptize in the name. Father's not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost is not a name. You got to know the name. I said what is the name of the Father? John chapter 5 and verse 43. Jesus said I am come in my Father's name. When I said that, the interpreter's eyes got wide and he grinned from ear to ear and he fell back against the wall and you knew that all of a sudden he had gotten a revelation for himself. God had revealed to him about baptism in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I preached to them about receiving the Holy Ghost. And when I got through, I said, everybody that wants the Holy Ghost, that's never received it before evidence by speaking in tongues, stand. I don't even know how many, did, did you get a count? I don't even know how many people stood. 
At least a hundred people stood up, wanted the Holy Ghost. I don't know how many got it that day, but I'm telling you all over, and this again was in that open lean-to built against the house of Pastor Musakwa, but at least a hundred people stood up, said we want the Holy Ghost. We prayed with them for I don't know how long. It was it was an hour, two hours, I don't know, but we saw so many people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost that day. I'm just telling you, church, they gladly received the Word of God. When that day was finished, before they closed the service, Bishop Musakwa said, how many of you want to be baptized in Jesus' name? And saints all over that place raised their hand. They told us the next day they've already got a mass baptism scheduled for this coming Saturday. They are fully expecting that 400 people will be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So on Monday morning, the three main leaders, Bishop Musakwa, Pastor Simon, Pastor Charles, came to the hotel to meet with us. We sat down and began to talk to them. Right after the baptismal service, Pastor Charles had come to me, and, and he said to me, he said, Pastor Riggin, your dream has been fulfilled of seeing people baptized in Jesus' name in Zimbabwe. He said, you've seen your vision fulfilled. He said, but what is your vision for us now? Well, it caught me off guard. I'm just going to be honest with you, church. I didn't have a vision beyond that. I, I, I wasn't really thinking. Beyond, I just knew that God called me to go to that country and preach this message, and I had no vision beyond that. Pastor Charles, in his sincerity, I'm telling you, the man could ask some tremendous questions. He, he was very, very knowledgeable, very intelligent. And, and he said, what is, what is your vision now? I said, Pastor Charles, that's a good question, but I don't really have an answer. And I felt bad about it, but I couldn't forget it. And so Monday morning when they came together, I started off by telling them, I said, I want to talk to you. Because a question that Pastor Charles asked me has haunted me ever since he asked it. He asked me, what is my vision going forward? I said, when he asked, I really didn't have one. But I must tell you now what my vision is. I said, number one, you men are endeavoring on a brand new encounter. You're starting a brand new journey. You're not the same as you once were. And, and you've got to have guidance, and you've got to have leadership. Though you are all pastors in your own right, this is all new. You've got to have somebody to answer to. I began to try to encourage them. I talked to them about Bishop Aston. I said, he's right here in Africa. He's right here in Kenya. It's still a long ways, but at least he's here on the continent. And he's a great man, and he would be a tremendous leader for you. And Pastor Simon looked at me, and he said, Don't shirk your duties. You are the man who brought this truth to us. We love Bishop Aston. We honor Bishop Aston. But you are the man 
who brought this truth and we want you to lead us. He said, whoever you send to us. He said, this team that has come has come because you've invited them. And whoever you send to us, we will receive in your name. And whatever they tell us, we will believe and we will accept because you sent them. And you're the man who brought this message of truth to us. I then told them, I said then, the second part of my vision is this, that we want, we have talked as a team, and we don't even know what to call it yet, but we want to establish a means whereby we can give you the kind of teaching and support that you're going to need. I said, God did not call me Zimbabwe. God has not called me to be a missionary to this country. God hasn't called any of these men to leave their home and come here. But God has called you men to do a work. And yet you've got to have guidance. And I said, this is our vision, that we want to establish a means whereby we can do our best to send to you somebody on a regular basis to come over every few months and preach to you and teach you and speak to you and do what we can to help you and to lead you so that you can become established to the point that you don't need us anymore. We're not interested in taking your work away from you. This is your work, but we want to make sure it's done right. And so we talk to them about it, and it is our full intention to travel around, to talk to other men, to establish a way that we can do this, going every two months or three months, whatever the Lord would allow, whatever, however he would provide, not me every time, but, but different men on the team or even someone else that we feel would be beneficial for whatever they're facing at that moment. But to be able to have the funds set back and set aside that we can just call a man and say, Brother so-and-so, you are excellent in this area. This is what they're needing right now. We have the funds available. We're going to buy you a place ticket. We're going to send you to Zimbabwe. Go over there for a week or 10 days or two weeks and help these men to work through these situations as we can to send Brother Aston back. Whatever's got to happen. Right now, the very next thing on the agenda is that two months from now, Brother Aston is having a conference in Kenya. It costs $800 per person for them to fly to Kenya, but they can take a bus for 400 the problem is a bus will take them, I think, two days to get there. But for $400, they can ride the bus there and back. They said probably since they're having to ride a bus, they're going to have meals along the road. They said probably for $100, all their meals could be covered. Brother Aston has told us if you can get them there and back, we'll take care of them while they're in Kenya. We'll give them a place to stay. We'll feed them while they're there. We just have to get them to Kenya and back. And so for $400 a person, we can do it. But as we talked among ourselves, we said, you know, we don't just want the pastors to go. Their wives need to get in that holiness atmosphere. There's still a whole lot of issues they don't know about. They don't know about jewelry. There's a lot of things they don't know about that they need to learn about. But the best way for them to learn is to get into a good apostolic service. 
And if we can send these leaders and their wives into that meeting in Kenya, it will do them more good than another teaching session will do. And so for $800 or for $1,000 per couple, $800 for the bus tickets, $100 per person, for $1,000 per couple, we can send a pastor and his wife to Brother Aston's meeting. And that's the next thing we're going to start working on trying to raise funds for and telling men about because we want to send these leaders over. And when they get over there and they get it, they'll bring it back to the others and begin to share it as well. And all of this will be a part of what we're trying to put together. Amen. It's all a part of what I believe that God is trying to do. Praise God. Well, my time is way past gone. But let me, do, do you have that file? I, this song they sang that afternoon when I was in my room not feeling well, but they sang it again at the close of the seminar, and it touched us so much. And then we spent the day with them on Monday and asked them, would you sing that song for us again? And Brother Howard got out his phone and recorded it on a voice memo so that we would have the audio of, this, of them singing this song. If you could only see their faces as they sing it and know how deeply they mean every word. If you got that, Josh, can you play that right now? I want you to listen to this song as we bring this to a close. Forget it. Get your phone. You got your phone. If they can't get it, we'll play it this way. We'll do it this way. Forget it. We're going to do it this way. It may take a minute more, but we'll just play it straight off his phone. understand what they're saying if you believe and I believe and together we pray the Holy Spirit must come down and Zimbabwe must be saved start it again saying Africa must be saved.
And now listen to the last verse. America must be saved. America must be saved. America must be saved. The Holy Spirit must come down. America must be saved. Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our hands and talk to God. Musicians, come. If you believe, and I believe, and we together pray, the Holy Spirit must come down, and Zimbabwe must be saved. Let's stand tonight. Let's talk to the Lord. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. They are over there praying for us. They're over there praying for us. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. I wept as I told them. I said, I am so moved by your hunger. Please pray for America. Because Americans are just not hungry like that. We have to argue. We have to fuss. We have to beg. We have to plead to get people to do the things we preach. But here's a group of people so hungry, they just gladly, gladly receive the word. I said, please pray for America. Pray that we too can gladly receive the word. Pray that we too can gladly receive the word. Those people who have nothing, Bishop Musakwa's house, bare concrete floors, bare concrete walls, very little running water, the, the toilet, you have to pour water down the, the, the pipe in the back just to flush the toilet. And that's how they live. And we have everything. They crowd under that tin roof in that hot African sun, many of them walking to church, carrying babies on their backs. And we can't get in our air-conditioned car and drive across town. We get a little headache, feel a little sick in our stomach, have a little problem. Well, I can't go to church tonight. Preacher says a little something that upsets us, that bothers us, so I can't do that. He just doesn't understand. I, I'm telling you, church, we're going to stand in judgment against people like we met in Zimbabwe. That all I had to do was show them one verse of Scripture. And they said, we wish we would have known this before. I wish somebody would have told us this before. We want to make God happy. We want to do what the Bible says.
America. America. When are you going to get hungry for God again? New Life Pentecostal Church, when are you going to get hungry again? that all it takes is a simple word. When are you going to reach the place you humble yourself as they do? One of the most touching sights was to see Brother Ogle in his wheelchair and watch them walk up in front of him and get down on their knees with a hunger in their eyes. Pray for me. Pray for me, man of God. Pray for me, man of God. 